All right, everybody. It is Monday, February 6th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Moshe Wanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, I have to say, I'm glad we record this uh, via virtual video because based on your voice right now, I wasn't sure it was you. <laughs> I had some rager last night, Moshe. You should have yeah. been there. Yeah. Well, I, I find that hard to believe given what I know about your weekends these days. How are you feeling? You know what? Just when I think I'm feeling totally better, whatever I, I'm dealing with, it like throws me another curveball. So I actually feel fine, but I mm-hmm. woke up on Saturday morning with no voice and I actually, I feel a lot better than I sound. Well, that is that is good to hear. <laughs> You're like, that uh, is good because you sound awful. <laughs> th- that is good. I wasn't sure whether you took in some of the helium from the Chinese spy balloon. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, let's get to today's headlines. There's a lot that we're going to be covering today. We'll tell you the latest about that Chinese spy balloon that was shot down just over the Atlantic Ocean Saturday afternoon. What comes next? The reaction and the effort to pick up the literal pieces. What you can expect tomorrow from President Biden's State of the Union address as we await final word on whether he is running for re-election next year. We got a great jobs number on Friday, but some are worried about what it means for inflation. We'll tell you about that. We'll also have an update from Iran as the revolution nearly hits the five-month mark. LeBron James is set to make history this week. Last night was the biggest night in music. Beyonce made some history at the Grammys. And as always, I'll have this on this day in history for you. And Mosh, thank you for reading the headlines there. Um, I feel like I'm going to keep my part to a minimum. (laughs) Got it. As you should. As you should. Save your voice. Okay, um, it was the story of the weekend, though. Just after 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time Saturday, the Chinese spy balloon that had spent nearly a week over the United States was hit by a Sidewinder missile from a U.S. Air Force F-22 fighter jet. It came down just off the coast of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. You've probably seen the videos of crowds cheering as that spy balloon was shot down. Take a listen to one of them. U.S. defense and military officials said the balloon entered the U.S. air defense zone north of the Aleutian Islands on Saturday, January 28th, and moved largely overland across Alaska and then into Canadian airspace on Monday. It crossed back into U.S. territory over northern Idaho on Tuesday, and that is when President Biden was first told about it. Biden reportedly issued the shoot-down order for the balloon on Wednesday as it was over Montana and Idaho, but he was advised by top military leaders that the best time for the operation would be when it was over water and that they should wait. The military's concern was that bringing down the balloon over land from an altitude of 60,000 feet could mean that Americans could be injured on the ground. And so they waited as it floated through Nebraska, Missouri, Tennessee, and then the Carolinas. And then they finally proceeded with the shoot down as it made its way about six miles out to the sea Saturday afternoon. The debris landed in 47 feet of water, shallower than officials expected. It spread out over roughly seven miles. Navy divers are now there collecting pieces. Officials estimate the recovery effort will take a couple days, given how shallow the water is. But now the debate is heating up in Washington. Many Republican lawmakers said Sunday that the Biden administration showcased weakness and had given Beijing an intelligence opening by not downing that balloon during its high-altitude drift through American airspace. 
Jill, what's interesting here is if it was up to the White House, we would have never known about this. They had those private briefings on Tuesday and Wednesday and were apparently looking to deal with this whole thing behind the scenes through back channels to China. However, once it was publicly spotted in Montana on Thursday, people were literally able to see it. It was printed by local news publications. The White House had to come clean here. So we learned about it late Thursday, told you about it on this podcast Friday morning as it became a global story. I was reading in Barry Weiss's The Free Press on Sunday. They had an essay from someone who lives in Montana. And he was like, I think the Biden administration was banking on people in Montana not looking up (laughs) because we all (laughs) saw it. (laughs) You know, people on the coast, you know, might just stare at their phones or they don't really have a good view of the sky. But for all of us, it was clear as day. Well, it speaks to the fact that there's just a lot we don't know about what happens. There's a lot in our history. There's a lot day to day that happens uh, that they're hoping to, you know, in some cases, keep classified, et cetera. In this case, uh, it's unclear whether the Chinese intentionally put it at a level that it could be seen by Americans or running some sort of experiment on us or uh, whether this was just a faux pas, a mistake by the Chinese government. But the big debate then took place to shoot it down or not and when. Remember, the balloon here reportedly is the size of three school buses. And that was apparently part of the pushback that Biden got from defense officials after Biden said on Wednesday, apparently, this is what the White House is saying, that he wanted to shoot it down on Wednesday. And they said, please, we should not do it over land. So then they waited till it was just a few miles off the coast of South Carolina on Saturday afternoon. Remember that international waters start 12 miles out from the coast. This was shut down six miles out from the coast. So officially over U.S. waters. And that was very specific. They didn't want to do it over international waters because then they were governed by international law. And that would open up another can of worms. Now, the big thing we also learned in the last 24 hours, Jill, is that this is apparently not the first balloon from China to float over the U.S. The Pentagon telling reporters over the weekend that at least three Chinese balloons floated over parts of America during the Trump administration. And a separate one came earlier during the Biden White House, One of the balloons during the Trump era uh, floated over Texas and Florida, reportedly. And then the one previous one that came during President Biden apparently crashed off the coast of Hawaii a few months ago. In all cases, the defense officials say those floated over the U.S. for shorter periods of time. This became a whole back and forth on Sunday. Trump and officials who worked for Trump saying there was no way this happened during our administration. What are you guys talking about? This is just spin from the Pentagon. The Pentagon then later telling Fox News that apparently this was discovered after the fact, not during that time. So that might explain why Trump didn't know about them as they floated, that they were effectively undetected during that era. So among the questions now is what was China's goal here? As I said earlier, did they want to be discovered? Did they want to get, did the Chinese military kind of act roguely here to uh, try to get this U.S. Secretary of State's trip canceled? Remember, the Secretary of State, Blinken, was set to be in China this week, and it was going to be the biggest high-level meeting uh, in China so far during the Biden White House. So was this part of the Chinese military saying, we want to get that thing canceled, uh, you know, want to keep tensions high? That's one theory of the case here. Well, another theory is, were they testing the White House to see whether they could do this overtly and still get that meeting. Another theory here is, were they just trying to cause internal debate? Did they know how contentious China is in America? Were we basically playing into their hands by having this huge food fight in America about to shoot it down or not? All unclear. It's also unclear what they were able to gain at that level. Some intel officials saying at the height the balloon was at, it basically was getting the same pictures they could get already via satellites, satellites we can't touch. 
Officially, though, all the Chinese are saying and what they're maintaining is that this is not a military balloon. This was a weather balloon that was blown off course. Uh, interestingly, the Pentagon's like, this is no way a weather balloon. It had remote control maneuvering ability and specifically was going over nuclear sites and secure military <laughs> locations here in the U.S. So this is definitely not a weather balloon. By the way, keep in mind, weather balloons typically about six feet to 20 feet in size, and they go about 100 miles. This is one that went thousands and thousands of miles and, again, had remote control capability and was the size of three buses. So Josh Rogan, who's a Washington Post columnist, and he wrote a book on China, his take on this, he wrote on Twitter, the Chinese government made a big mistake here. They blundered, and now they're trying to bluster to cover up their blunder. Yeah. But Moshe, it looks like congressional leaders will start to learn more this week. A briefing of the so-called Gang of Eight is set to happen tomorrow. That group is made up of top Democratic and Republican leaders in both the House and the Senate, as well as key intelligence committee members from both chambers. It's generally privy to sensitive information that the rest of Congress is not always briefed on. A full Senate classified briefing on China will occur on February 15th. And we know how well everyone keeps all those classified <laughs> documents. <laughs> so we'll, well never find out. <laughs> have you looked behind you for classified documents <laughs> on Chinese balloons? Because they might already be out there. Jill, one thing we also know about Congress is that's where we get our leaks, especially uh, those of us in the media who like to learn things about what's happening. We just wait for Congress to find out and then Congress will leak it. So expect to learn more this week. So far, the reaction runs the gamut. Some of it uh, pretty much expected, some surprising uh, from the military side, Admiral Mike Mellon, he's a former chairman of the Joint Chiefs, top military official. He said this weekend, quote, this was not an accident. This was deliberate. It was intelligence. He's one of the people thinking that this was the Chinese military going rogue here to disrupt Secretary of State Lincoln's planned visit. U.S. military officials were on TV all weekend long talking about this. This is just one part of China's intelligence gathering campaign. And I will get to that in a second. As far as politics are concerned, we will get to that briefing on Capitol Hill. Notably, here's a few Republicans and how they reacted. Ted Cruz, Republican from Texas, no friend of Biden, did praise Biden, though, for, quote, having the guts to shoot down the balloon, but said that the decision to wait until Saturday, until it was over the ocean, telegraphed weakness. Senator Marco Rubio of Florida, another Republican on the Intel Committee, called Biden's actions this week, quote, a dereliction of duty. Tom Cotton, Another Republican on the Intel Committee, he's from Arkansas, said we should have shot this balloon over the Aleutians, that's the island chain over Alaska, instead of letting it float across middle America on its merry way. Meanwhile, Democrats were out there praising the military, condemning China, and praising Biden for not risking American lives on the ground and for waiting until the balloon was out over water. Jill, one thing intelligence officials are pointing out is Chinese spying has gone on in America for a decade. They have human assets on the ground. Universities have been infiltrated. And we hear about this with FBI investigations. Tech companies, all companies, frankly, uh, satellites, cyber hacking, TikTok. There are a number of ways that China spends billions of dollars annually to spy on us. We are the top two economies in the world. We are the major powers in the world at this point. And so keep in mind, they're spying on us and we're spying on them. So if you take away one thing from this balloon incident, it's not like we discovered like, oh my God, China's spying on us. China's been spying on us. We've known they've been spying on us. It's just the first time we could visibly see it in a physical object floating somewhere over America. Let's stay in Washington, where tomorrow night, President Biden will be addressing the nation in his annual State of the Union address before Congress. If it goes like nearly every other State of the Union address in the modern era, Biden is expected to proclaim that the State of the Union is... 
strong, <laughs> very strong. There's always a word that's like strong or something like strong. Every president says it. Well, by the time he's done, he'll have laid out a case that he deserves a good share of the credit. It Check. Comes- <laughs> yeah, that's also something they got to do. Um, it comes at a key point as Biden looks to likely run for re-election next year. He'll have the opportunity to reach a wider audience on live TV Tuesday. A recent NBC News poll last month found that only 31 percent of voters believe that Biden is competent and an effective president, while 71 percent say the country is on the wrong track. Tuesday is a chance to sway the skeptics, as advisors hope. State of the Union audiences have shrunk over the years. Still, viewership is pretty big. Last year, 38 million people tuned into Biden's speech and 16 networks carried it live. Aides tell Politico that he'll extend his hand across the aisle to Republicans, while also warning that extremist voices on the right pose a threat to liberties both here and abroad. Jill, we'll also all be watching for what he says about the balloon and China. I imagine new versions of the speech are probably being written as we speak. That's tradition here. The speechwriters are constantly revising and revising, trying to get the timing down, trying to hit key points. Um, every member of the administration, every secretary wants him to mention something. The Agriculture Department, the State Department, the Justice Department. And so they got to try to work that all in there. They pull some of this stuff. So it is a it is quite a process. But we'll also be looking for tea leaves on whether he has made the decision to run in 2024. According to Politico, the timeline for the 2024 presidential announcement has shifted. It was originally planned for sometime in March or April of this year, in part for fundraising purposes. But then there had been talk about moving it up to this month, to late February. That now may have slipped again as they deal with a special counsel investigation into classified documents. All of the leaks from advisors all say he has not made a final, final, final decision. But all signs right now point to Biden running for re-election for another four years. Back to the speech, though, he is expected to talk about how the country has emerged from COVID, declare a bit of victory on that, uh, talk about how inflation is starting to come down bit by bit. On Ukraine, he's expected to outline to the public why our continued sustained American involvement there is needed. Remember when he gave a speech last year, the war had just started and there was concern that Putin was going to completely take out Ukraine in just a matter of a couple of days. Uh, in this case, he will talk about how the U.S. support has helped them keep up the fight here. For a year. He will also urge Republicans not to listen to some voices within their own party who want to cut funding and aid to Ukraine. Also, if you're making a bingo card on what he might mention, uh, you can write down debt ceiling in one of the boxes. He will talk about how he's not ready to negotiate on the country's fiscal future and Republicans need to lift the debt ceiling. He's also expected to call for an assault weapons ban in light of those most recent mass shootings in California that has little chance of receiving Republican support as they control the House. One other thing he'll probably mention, a call for police reform, the George Floyd Act, in light of the Tyree Nichols shooting. That's another bill that likely will not pass because, again, Republicans are not for it over in the House. All right, Jill, before we get to the rest of the day's news, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors this week. Let's start with a game changer in the daily vitamin and supplement space, Athletic Greens. I've been using their AG1 supplement since the fall. The Athletic Greens AG1 powder is just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. It's easy, quick, and lets you get on your day knowing that you've gotten more than 75 important ingredients, tons of vitamins and minerals. It also has pre and probiotics to support your gut health. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. You can visit athleticgreens.com slash monews to take advantage of this offer. While there, you can get a monthly subscription that's discounted or just try it for one month. 
Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S, for a special deal that will really start to let you take ownership of your health. All right, another partner this week I want to tell you about is Apostrophe Skincare. If you're tired of just hearing the solution to great skin is just drinking more water and you're looking for more help, this platform is an incredible resource. Apostrophe is an online platform that connects you with expert dermatologists to get customized treatment for your skin. It's very convenient. Apostrophe can help you on your road to a solution for a number of things, including adult acne or dark spots. It's simple to use and can be done from home. You answer several questions, snap a few selfies, and a board-certified dermatologist will create an initial customized treatment plan for you. They have a special deal now for the Mo News audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash monews using our code monews. Simple as that. It's a savings of $15. To get started, again, just go to apostrophe.com slash monews. It's apostrophe, A-P-O-S-T-R-O-P-H-E, apostrophe.com slash monews, and click to get started, and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Time now for the speed read from the AP. We're watching a dangerous fire burning in eastern Ohio after about 50 cars on a freight train derailed late Friday. An evacuation orders in place near the crash site in East Palestine, Ohio, impacting more than 1,000 residents. The evacuation order covers a one-mile radius near the Ohio-Pennsylvania border. The train had more than 100 cars, including 20 transporting hazardous materials, according to authorities. Ten of the cars with hazardous materials derailed. Yeah, it looks like right now there are up to 2,000 residents that were actually asked to evacuate here. Sheriff's officials visited homes on Sunday to ask people in the radius to leave. They're very concerned about what people could be inhaling as that fire continues. Jill, some of the people are now in shelters. Uh, According to officials, the air quality appears to be intact and the town's water supply has not been impacted so far by materials that went into streams but they're continuing to monitor both the uh, health of the air and water in that area. From NPR, the Democratic National Committee voted Saturday to reshuffle the party's presidential primary calendar. The major move, booting the Iowa caucuses from the early slate of states and moving up primaries in South Carolina, Nevada, Georgia, and Michigan. The idea is to elevate states that they feel are more reflective of the Democratic Party's diversity to help choose future presidential nominees. It comes after 50 years of holding the Iowa caucuses and New Hampshire primary one and two. The 2024 presidential calendar will have South Carolina in the first position on February 3rd, followed by New Hampshire and Nevada jointly sharing the number two slot on February 6th. And then Georgia on February 13th and Michigan on February 27th. Yeah, it's a calendar that in many ways rewards the states that helped Biden uh, lock in the nomination against Bernie Sanders in 2020, including South Carolina, which has one of the most diverse Democratic electorates with a large black population. The big thing, Jill, here is a lot is still up in the air. The DNC voted this way. But with Republicans still having the traditional calendar on their end of Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, South Carolina, The concern is how will these states go about holding two different primaries in short periods of time, dealing with independence voting? So there's a lot of complications here, including some state laws. Both Iowa and New Hampshire have literal state laws that require them to vote first ahead of other states. So how will that work, especially in a state like Iowa? 
and South Carolina, which is controlled at a state level by Republicans. So there's a lot of complications here, including Democrats in Iowa and New Hampshire who are very upset. They like to say they pick the presidents. They help win it on the field. That is no longer the case. This is also a punishment to Iowa for messing up in 2020. Remember, the counting got completely messed up. It took them a while to determine who the winner was. So that was sort of the death. You have one job, Iowa. <laughs> Iowa, every four years, you hold caucuses. They're so complicated. And in this case, they couldn't get the voting right. The, the systems went down. And so but, Democrats are like, we're over you. But back to what you were saying is that these states have their own state laws about it. Yeah. I could imagine the Democratic Party saying, not our problem. I mean, if, right. if you have a, so what? Any state could pass a state law. It doesn't mean that the Democratic Party or the Republican Party needs to follow it. Right. But in the same case, the state has to hold the elections, right? Because that's also where the primaries are chosen at, at lower levels. I mean, the, the parties still depend on the state to actually organize the election. Um, and so it, it does require um, some coordination here. And so we're very early on the process. And the one big thing I was telling people over the weekend is that the Democrats have made this call. But keep in mind, as we've told you earlier in this podcast, it's looking very likely like Biden's going to run for re-election, which makes the primary much less important on the Democratic side this go around, because if he runs for re-election, it is very unlikely Democrats could have a competitive race and many will be running against him. So really what this sets the stage for here is 2028 and beyond and a reorg there. But this is very much against the tradition there, but does reflect the new reality of diversity. And keep in mind, the goal of the primaries is to select the best possible presidential nominee who will go on to win against the Republican in the fall, or in the case of Republicans, go on to win against the Democrat in the fall. And Democrats believe here that they need to rejigger this and reorder this to ensure that uh, they select the best nominees going forward. They give them the best shot of winning the White House. This would have huge, huge repercussions uh, for media markets. I was a reporter in a, a small market in Michigan, and Michigan was close to the head of the pack. And the amount of money that these campaigns spend on advertising is so mm. huge. You can imagine that there's, I'm sure, newspapers and TV stations in Iowa um, and some of these earlier states that are so dependent on massive, massive ad dollars coming in. Yeah, I mean, keep in mind that you're talking about a year of advertising, right? Because because effectively, you go into those caucuses in Iowa, traditionally, and there might be more than a dozen candidates on each side. And really only the top three, you know, they talk about having three tickets out of Iowa or maybe four tickets out of Iowa. So every campaign is spending every last dollar there. And that certainly speaks to the argument these states are making, being like, do not take us out of this order. This is a big deal for us. From the Wall Street Journal, unemployment falls to 3.4 percent, the lowest in 53 years. U.S. job growth accelerated at the start of the year as employers added a robust 517,000 jobs and pushed the unemployment rate to a 53-year low. The unexpectedly strong hiring gains raised questions about whether the economy, which had been losing momentum over the past several months, is starting to pick up steam again. Yeah, there are questions about these numbers, Jill, because this was, this really surprised economists uh, and folks on Wall Street. But if this is accurate, and you know we have to depend on the Bureau of Labor Statistics for this, as we have for multiple administrations, uh, this could prompt a more aggressive response by the Federal Reserve as it has been raising interest rates to try to bring down inflation. As we've been telling you, good news is bad news when it comes to inflation. Good economic news might mean bad news for inflation rising. And the concern here for investors, and you already saw this being talked about on Friday and over the weekend, is that this could push the Fed 
to raise interest rates more than we expected this year. The labor market remains resilient here, which could lead to more debates. There was an expectation that they would be raising interest rates at least once more this year. But now, given these great jobs numbers, they could be raising it multiple times because, again, they're trying to cool the economy and more people hiring, more people raising wages means more money out there. More money out there means people are spending more money, which uh, then allows uh, stores to increase prices, hence inflation. So it's something to continue to watch. From Reuters now, Iran's supreme leader said that he has reportedly pardoned tens of thousands of prisoners, including some arrested in recent anti-government protests. That is according to, of course, state-controlled media. However, the pardon approved by Ayatollah Ali Khamenei came with conditions. Those accused of, quote, corruption on earth, a charge punishable by death brought against some protesters would not be pardoned. We know four protesters have already been executed on that charge. Pardons would also not apply to those accused by Iran of spying on foreign agencies or those, quote, affiliated with groups hostile to the Islamic Republic. And Mosh, we should note, it has been more than four months now of these violent protests against the authoritarian regime. Yeah, we wanted to talk about the story because a lot of news outlets have been carrying the headline about the pardons, and we wanted to just read deeper into it and talk about these exceptions, that it's more than meets the eye here. Human groups are calling this pardon announcement a sham, just like the trials that have been held against protesters. Iran Human Rights, that's one group, said on Twitter, the hypocritical pardoning of protesters by Khamenei is an act of propaganda. They use their self-right to protest, and their arrests and sentences are not justified. They went on to call for Iran to release all of the protesters. Another NGO, non-governmental organization watching this, the Center for Human Rights in Iran, described the move as a PR stunt with no grounding in reality. Keep in mind, more than 20,000 people have been arrested in connection with demonstrations, the attempted revolution in Iran since September. Prisons appear to be overcrowded, which may speak to some of these alleged pardons. Rights groups say more than 500 people have already been killed in the crackdown, 70 minors, four people hanged. And so that's just something to keep in mind as you saw that headline. Moshe, you and I were talking a bit before the podcast about what stories we should do. And and I pushed back a little bit on this story, but you said that you have been flooded actually with people writing in asking what is going on there. Yeah, it got so much coverage in the in the early weeks of those protests, right? In the, in the fall, and people are like, well, what, what's going on in Iran? Are the protests still happening? Um, and obviously, it's, it's so difficult to get information out of Iran because it is such a close-knit, state-controlled media operation there. Third-party media have trouble um, getting in there, reporting on things, and then getting people to be honest. So just want to make sure that we continue to update you here on the Mo News podcast and the Instagram feed about what's going on. And what's happened, unfortunately, is because of the way the government has dealt with the demonstration so violently, um, executing some publicly on cranes, that has really tempered the protests down. The street protests that we were seeing in September, October, and a bit of November have really quieted down as uh, Iran you know, got serious about executing people who are demonstrating. And so that is now quieted down. There's more quiet protests taking place, women continuing not to wear head coverings. But as far as the protests on the street calling for regime change and down with the Ayatollah, you're seeing less of that. And so we'll continue to monitor these headlines and I appreciate everyone reaching out with, with their questions about you know various stories happening. From CNN, LeBron James closing in on breaking the NBA all-time scoring record. He finished with 27 points in the L.A. Lakers 131 to 126 loss to the New Orleans Pelicans Saturday. 
So he now needs 36 points to make history and surpass Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's NBA all-time scoring record. He's getting ever so close. We'll likely see history this week, Jill. It'll be a very big deal. It'll be quite a moment. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has been the scoring leader and the NBA since April of 1984 when he surpassed Will Chamberlain's mark. And that was before LeBron James was even born back then in 84. So Abdul-Jabbar officially has 38,387 points in his career. James is now in his 20th season in the league, has edged ever so close, and as you said, is 36 points away from making the record. He is likely to break the record at home this week in L.A. where they have two games. On Tuesday, they're facing the Oklahoma City Thunder, and then on Thursday against the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, So what's cool is he'll be able to do it before a home crowd in L.A., Ticket prices for those games have predictably skyrocketed. They're now averaging just over $1,200 a ticket. That is likely to go up in the next 48 hours. So uh, everyone's on pins and needles as we watch uh, James, who's now 38 years old, 20 seasons in the league, about to break Abdul-Jabbar's record. Okay, Mosh, catch us up on the biggest night in music, the Grammys. Jill, the headline of the night was Beyonce, who became the most decorated artist in Grammy history last night. She won several awards for songs and her album, Renaissance. I'm trying not to be too emotional. And I'm trying to just receive this night. She now officially has 32 Grammys all-time. She surpassed the 26-year-old record once held by the late Hungarian classical conductor named George Solti. It's a really remarkable achievement for the 41-year-old singer. Notably, she actually missed the milestone earlier in the evening where she tied the record with Solti with 31 awards. Uh, She apparently was stuck in L.A. traffic, Trevor Noah, telling the audience that she was making her way. She eventually made it to the arena in time to uh, win that final award. Some really incredible numbers here. Over her career so far, she has 88 nominations. They have led to 32 career wins. Her first nomination was back in 2000. Her first two wins just a year later, so 22 years ago. And we should note that her first three Grammy wins came when she was a part of Destiny's Child. Some other notable mentions from last night's Grammys. The biggest award of the night, Best Overall Album, went to Harry Styles for his album, Harry's House. The best record of the year went to Lizzo for About Damn Time. And the best song of the year went to Bonnie Raitt's Just Like That. She was legitimately surprised she beat out Adele, Lizzo, Beyonce, Harry Styles for the best song category. A reminder, the difference between song and record. Song is essentially for best song writing. Best record of the year is for best overall song on an album. Notably, Sam Smith and Kim Petras won Best Pop Duo Group Performance for their song Unholy. Uh, Petras made note in her speech that Smith wanted her to make the acceptance speech because she is the first transgender woman to win the award. And one final item here, actress Viola Davis won a Grammy last night, making her an official EGOT, E-G-O-T, meaning she has now won an Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony, she won the Grammy for Best Audiobook Narration for her memoir, Finding Me. She now joins an elite group of just 18 people who have won all four awards, Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. That includes Whoopi Goldberg, John Legend, and Jennifer Hudson, among a few. Oh, and one more thing. You're probably going to be seeing a lot of Ben Affleck memes today. Every time they seem to cut away to him at the Grammys, he had a very unhappy look on his face. So uh, I shared a couple of photos on the Instagram feed last night. But uh, be on the lookout for those as they uh, take over the internet today. 
All right, Jill, that now brings us to On This Day in History, which this week we thank Bull and Branch Sheets and Bedding for sponsoring. Coming off the coldest weekend of the year for many of us, Bull and Branch is extending their special deal for Mo News listeners. Their sheets are organic cotton, and we have found they get softer with every wash and are helping keep us warm this winter. They're offering all Mo News listeners 15% off plus shipping for a limited time with the promo code MONEWS. We'll have more on that after we finish on this day. Okay, now to On This Day. We'll start on February 6, 1952, 71 years ago today. Queen Elizabeth officially became the Queen of England following the death of her father, King George VI. She held on to the throne for 70 years. Of course, we now have King Charles III, her son. He has about 69 and a half years left to tie his mother's record, Jill. And he is officially king since her death in the fall. But his official coronation will take place this May. All right, on this day, 52 years ago, February 6, 1971, U.S. astronaut Alan Shepard hit two golf balls on the moon just after landing as part of the Apollo 14 mission. How did he come up with that idea, Mosh? And does that mean that he packed golf clubs? (laughs) Apparently, he had a makeshift six iron he brought to space with him. And he had hidden it away in the space capsule. And uh, there's this whole story in Golf Digest that I'll, I'll link for folks in the show notes. But anyway, this is the Apollo 14 mission. This comes off of like the failure of Apollo 13. And they finally get back to the moon and it was pretty shaky. In fact, they had some tech issues. Apollo 14 was almost called off a la Apollo 13. They got through them. Alan Shepard lands on the moon. And apparently because the uh, spacesuit is so cumbersome, he only swings with his right arm. Again, this makeshift six iron that he somehow got into the capsule. And he's able to hit two golf balls. Can you think of anything more American? <laughs> then, then we're going to hit golf balls on the moon. It was our third yes, time Yes, having on a the moon. beer and barbecuing. <laughs> Which would have happened in a later mission. And maybe <laughs> once we get back to the moon next year, we'll do that. Um, Shepard, by the way, in addition to being the person who hit golf balls on the moon, also holds the record for being the oldest person on the moon. He was 47 years old on that mission. Speaking of age, a couple birthdays we'd like to mark today. Axel Rose, the rocker, turned 61 And Rick Astley is 57 today, Jill. You know I'm dying to sing, but I cannot with my voice (laughs) like this. I I have too much respect for our audience. Um, And by the way, it's Rick Rowling. So that's just offensive. But I'll say it anyway. I'm never going to give you up. I'm never going to let you down, Jill. (laughs) (laughs) Historically, by the way, February 6th, a lot of famous people born on this day. Ronald Reagan, Babe Ruth, Bob Marley. It's actually Bob Marley Day in uh, Jamaica. And Aaron Burr, famous vice president and shooter of Alexander Hamilton. Made famous by Lin-Manuel Miranda. That, or if, do you remember the 90s milk ads where somebody was eating peanut butter and they're trying to convince you to drink milk and the answer to some trivia that you'd win a million dollars was Aaron Burr. And the, in the commercial, the person says, Aaron Burr, Aaron Burr, because he's got <laughs> no, too much butter in his mouth. <laughs> All right, and those of you who are listening, you might remember the Got Milk ads of the late 90s and Aaron Burr was mentioned there. Of course, more famous, of course, from the Hamilton musical. Speaking of music, some music history on this day. Chris Cross's hit Jump, Jump, I'm Gonna Make You Jump, uh, 31 years old today. <laughs> Chris Cross gets a lot of play on this podcast. They do. <laughs> they do. They do. They, they probably over, over index for mentions on this podcast. And I, I have no shame. I have no, I have no qualms about it. Jill. Who's ever doing their PR is going to be like, your mentions are up a hundred percent within the past six months. And it's literally just us. It's just us mentioning every piece of history related to jump. Um, and one other nice hit we want to mention today, Jill Montel Jordan's, this is how we do it. Turns 28 today. You're killing me. I can't sing. It's all I want to do. She can't sing, everybody, but 
hopefully later this week. And finally, I want to mention today, February 6th, I don't know why, but it's National Frozen Yogurt Day officially. So go out and get yourself a twist. Is that what that's called? The chocolate vanilla mix? You call it a twist? I think so. I mean, it was the food of my youth. So I'm DCBY. a fan. DCBY. <laughs> no, for me, yogurt and such. The um, Long Islanders yogurt and such. Got it. Got it. Okay. That ends our On This Day for this February 6th. So thank you again to Bolin Branch Bedding and Sheets for their sponsorship of this segment this week. All of you looking for new sheets for yourself or a loved one should take a look over at bowlandbranch.com. That is B-O-L-L and branch.com. My wife and I got our first set in the fall. We're loving them. We're looking to get a second set right now in their mist color. The special deal right now for Mo News listeners, 15% off. One five, 15% off your first set of sheets and free shipping when you use the promo code MONews over at bullandbranch.com. Again, that is B-O-L-L-A-N-D branch.com. All right, everybody, a big thank you for listening to the Mo News podcast. Thank you for listening, especially today with my voice like this. I hope I'm better tomorrow. Follow us, subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the app store so we can continue to grow. And stay tuned tomorrow for coverage of the State of the Union on this podcast. Uh, as well as on the Instagram feed. Thanks to all of you who watched the balloon coverage on my Instagram feed over the weekend. I hope you had as much fun as I did. <laughs> I was going to say, motion. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you did this weekend. I mean, you basically just tracked this balloon. It was exciting. By the way, special, we haven't mentioned this podcast yet, but special props out to Commander George Santos for shooting down the balloon over the weekend <laughs> as F-22 Raptor. That's a joke. That's a joke. Jill, I like did a poll on the Instagram feed this weekend. What should be a bigger holiday, February 4th or July 4th? Because like people are like, oh, we should make this shooting down of the balloon a holiday. And a couple of people who didn't get the joke were like, that is so offensive. July 4th is so much more important than February 4th. I was like, really? You don't have sarcasm. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> you I was can't like, really? please everyone. No sarcasm. No sarcasm. You can't please everybody, Jill. You got to be in on the joke. As as you once told me, they're just not our people. I was about to say, that's what I was about to tell you. you they're just not our people. And it's okay. We can't be it's everything okay. for everybody. You can follow me over on Instagram at Mosh at M-O-S-H-E-H. Jill, feel better. Drink some tea. Thank you. Bye, everybody.